Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the inauguration of Joe Biden, an update on Minnesota tourism amid COVID, and Minnesota corn growers appeal to Minnesota lawmakers in the new session. But first... The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier this week referring to the January 6th siege of the U.S. Capitol building as the Senate awaits the House's delivery of an article of impeachment against former President Donald Trump. I spoke with Senator Tina Smith, Representative Tom Emmer, and Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. We'll start with Senator Smith. Well, McConnell is stating the facts, and he is calling out the big lie that the president and some powerful supporters of his have been telling for a long time, which is that this election was stolen when there is no evidence that uh, it's a baseless, it's a baseless charge. There's no evidence that voter fraud um, had any impact on the outcome of this election. So um, I think that, yes, I would say that McConnell um, is, um, I'm glad to hear him say that. And um, the question is, where do we go from here? And I think that the next and most important step is that we figure out how to hold this president and those that enabled this dangerous behavior um, accountable at the same time that we do the really, really important work that we have before us in the Senate. And obviously there is a lot to be done. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We've got economic crisis going. Um, I'm curious, do you have any information about how quickly – uh, the Senate may take up this matter of impeachment that's come over from the House. And um, what kind of Republican support for that are you hearing? Well, I hope that they uh, will be able to take up impeachment uh, quickly. What has to happen, I think, is for the Senate, the Senate has three really important jobs that we have to do. We have to confirm quickly uh, President-elect Biden's nominees uh, for cabinet positions, especially those cabinet positions that are in national security jobs, Department of Homeland Security and Defense and State. We should be doing those immediately. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have a very important COVID relief legislation that we need to get to work on and pass quickly for the good of Minnesotans and Americans. Uh, President Biden laid out, President-elect Biden laid out those um, his priorities and his detailed plan last uh, end of last week, and it was ambitious as it should be. And then the third thing we have to do is to hold this uh, president, almost former president, accountable because we don't ever want this to happen again, and we don't want him to be able to run for office again. And I think that we need to set it up so the Senate can do those three things, and we can get do those three things if we have um, cooperation from Mitch McConnell. And the Republicans. U.S. Congressman Tom Emmer voted against impeachment of Donald Trump. I asked the congressman why he voted the way he did. We all, everyone who holds an election certificate, bears responsibility for what happened on January 6th. Everyone. 
I mean, when Maxine Waters goes out into, into the public and says, uh, uh, literally, confront members of the uh, president's cabinet wherever you see them in public uh, places, uh, call them out. When, uh, when Nancy Pelosi tweets after the 2016 election, the election was hijacked. I mean, look, every one of us uh, bears responsibility for our words and our actions. And I think, uh, I think it's reached a level now where we've all got to start looking in the mirror and say, how can I be part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem? So uh, it's much more complicated than any one person. Uh, and I, I think it's it's not just uh, the general membership, but it's uh, it's really where we go from here, Scott. We, we've all got to start working together again. This is years of partisanship that has destroyed the trust between uh, uh, the two parties and, quite frankly, uh, members of uh, Congress that we've got to start to rebuild. And I think January 6th should be the, the instigator of how we all start getting together once again and maybe uh, starting to build some respect for one another and some tolerance for each other. Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shearer says it's not just a matter of when the Senate takes up the impeachment. There are several other factors to consider. It's also possible there'll be a federal court case about this. Uh, The question would be, can you impeach a president when he is no longer president and out of office? Uh, is that constitutional? You know, legal minds differ on that. Uh, and so there's a lot of uncertainty about the impeachment trial, when it will occur, if it will occur, and, of course, what the result would be. And that would be my next question in terms of the result. I mean, do you get a sense of, of which way it might be leaning one way or the other? I mean, do Democrats have enough support from Republicans in the Senate to, to actually move this thing along? I think uh, it's pretty unlikely that you will get a third of the Republican members in the Senate to vote to impeach Donald Trump once he's out of office. Uh, The Republican base in the country still is supporting Trump by a pretty hefty margin, and I think uh, Republican senators are aware of that. So it's hard for me to see how... uh, you could convict Donald Trump with 67 votes uh, in the Senate. Now, you have to convict him if you want to then bar him from running for office again. And so the 67 votes really is important if the Senate wants to end the political career of uh, the elective career of Donald Trump. And, you know, we discussed, we don't exactly know what the timing of this is going to be, but obviously it's going to in some way interfere with the beginning of the Joe Biden presidency. What kind of an impact do you think that's going to have, and how important is it for uh, the Biden administration to sort of move on from the Trump administration? Well, I think it's very important for the Biden administration to turn the page, create a new environment in Washington and in the country. And so... uh, Uh, They would either like this trial quickly disposed of or no trial, I think, uh, in order to uh, put the focus on the Biden presidency and the Biden agenda going forward. Of course, we should know more in the days ahead, and MNN will have all the latest information. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. 
Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week's inauguration of President Joe Biden was preceded by much nervousness, certainly in Washington, D.C., after the riots of barely two weeks ago, but also here in Minnesota. Scott, State Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington and the whole of law enforcement continued sending a strong message and emphasizing their pledge would not end on Inauguration Day. We stand today ready to protect the Constitution and the, and the law of the land that says that we have had and will continue to have a peaceful transition of power. The day before, Joe Biden took the oath of office. Enough lying, enough hedging, enough doublespeak. It is dangerous. It has to stop. Top Minnesota Democrats told Republican leaders, stop saying the election was stolen. DFL Chair Ken Martin saying the GOP has to choose which side they're on. They're either on the side of our Constitution and our American values, or they're on the side of Nazis and white supremacists. Shameful for him for saying that. Republican State Representative Steve Draskowski from Mazeppa. There's no Nazi anything that uh, has ever presented itself here. Uh, we are simply looking at bringing Minnesota to follow the law. Draskowski added Republicans have roundly condemned violence. I don't know what uh, Minnesota Democrats are expecting of us, except they want us to shut up, and we're not going to shut up. Senator Amy Klobuchar, lead Democrat on the Congressional Planning Committee, had a prominent role in the inaugural ceremonies. Have we become too jaded, too accustomed to the ritual of the passing of the torch of democracy to truly appreciate what a blessing and a privilege it is to witness this moment? I think not. administer the oath to our first African-American, our first Asian-American, and our first woman vice president, Kamala Harris, it is my great privilege to welcome to the inaugural stage the first Latina to ever serve on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So help me God. So help me God. 
Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. Will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. It is now my great privilege and high honor to be the first person to officially introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. To all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. If you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly, disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you, I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A new Minnesota tourism and hospitality industry survey finds more than half of businesses could face solvency issues in the next four to six months, 
Tasha Radel has more. The latest Minnesota Tourism and Hospitality Industry Survey addressing late 2020 business impact shows more than three-quarters of respondents noted overall negative financial health and stressed the urgent need for conditions to improve. Joining me now is John Edmond, Explore Minnesota Tourism Director. John, I know you're always in direct contact with folks in the tourism industry and hospitality sector across the state. What are you hearing and seeing? Sure. Well, we've we've been hearing from the hospitality industry for some time about the struggles that they're experiencing uh, as a result of the pandemic. So we surveyed uh, businesses this fall, whether they be hospitality businesses, uh, hotels, resorts, uh, restaurants, and asked them, you know, how how are things going? And Clearly, the pandemic has hit our industry much harder than anyone else. We surveyed about 681 uh, businesses throughout the state, and they found about nearly two-thirds of all the people responding uh, had, had had business that was significantly lower uh, than, than 2019. That really shouldn't be a surprise to any, anyone because of business travel, uh, conventions and visitors, bars and restaurant limitations. Uh, the decline in revenue was just very likely to, to happen. Everyone expected that to happen. But the results we found that really about half of our tourism businesses could face serious, serious solvency issues over the next uh, four to six months unless things uh, start to improve. So, so really there's, there's a very negative um, response in terms of what's, what's going on with the industry. And our industry, the hospitality industry, is really facing some, some very difficult challenges, probably even more so than any other industry within the state. John, were there any regions of the state that got hit harder than others during this COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, there, there, there was. It, the pandemic affected different parts of the state in, in different ways. Now, this last summer, we saw a lot of people going uh, to greater Minnesota to get away, to go to lakes, go to resorts and campgrounds, and they actually did uh, fairly well. But areas such as in the, the metropolitan area of Minneapolis and St. Paul, they, they definitely fared much worse than any other part of the state because they are so reliant on things like business travel and conventions and events and the like. And also we found out that southern Minnesota did uh, probably the second region that didn't do quite as well as any other part of Minnesota. But there, are, there were sections of northern Minnesota that did okay, resort areas, parts of northeast when people were going from the Duluth up to the North Shore that did pretty well. But, but overall, our industry is, uh, as, as a whole, uh, really hurting this last year. John, I know I visit with you about this quite often, but let's remind folks how important the tourism and hospitality sector is to the state's economy. I'm guessing with all the dialbacks, uh, we're seeing quite a bit of a downturn. We are. Our industry is, is it normally, it's about a $16 billion industry affecting every single county in the, in the state. And we were looking at some research uh, by a, a company called Tourism Economics. And the pandemic-related travel downturn in Minnesota has cost uh, more than $7 billion in losses from March through December. So that's, that's close to half of all of the economic impact that our, our industry brings to the state of Minnesota that has been lost uh, in the last year. And, and we hope that that, that 
will will change that that revenue will start coming in but so far it's been just disastrous for our industry well john we're about out of time anything else you want to add before we wrap up today i guess the only thing that i would add that we really didn't talk a lot about is that when you look at all the segments of our industry it's the food and drink uh, establishment will probably hit the hardest and what we found out that is that 93% of the related businesses reported negative financial health uh, or health that was declining. And so we just have to keep in mind that our industry is huge. It affects uh, hotels, it affects restaurants, it affects shops. But those uh, uh, restaurants is the segment of our industry that we've seen the biggest impact and we hope that now things are starting to open up a little bit, that that's, that's the segment of the industry that will first come back. As always, thanks to my guest, John Edmond, Explore Minnesota Tourism Director. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you, A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B. Console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C. Take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D. Help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the Minnesota legislative session kicks into high gear, corn growers in the state are hoping for help. The president of the Minnesota Corn Growers, Mark Weibel of Cortland, would like to see stable and predictable legislation to assist farmers. MNN correspondent Mark Dornkamp from Brownfield Ag News spoke with Weibel. Tim, I'd like to get your thoughts and the thoughts of the corn growers on the legislative session that's just beginning in Minnesota. What are some of the key priorities in 2021? Uh, first key priority is we all know that there's been changes in, in both the House and Senate, and, and we got to get out there and start building them relationships as we started already. And anyway, our top priority is going to be certainly moving the state to a total E15, and we need the uh, members of the House and the Senate and the governor to support this with us. What is the the message, I guess, primarily to maybe some, some of those fresh faces that you're getting to know and then people that are from maybe the, the metro that uh, might not fully understand the benefits of, of ethanol, renewable fuels? How do you communicate that message to them? Well, that's a good question, and, and I, I do have a new representative, and I just had this discussion last week with her, and, and, I, and I shared with her the importance of the ethanol industry in the proximity where I live, you know, any given morning except the foggy morning like this morning, I can go out and I can see the steam of three ethanol plants, and, and they're big consumers of corn for us. And and what that helps is it certainly we all can remember back, those of us with a little gray hair, where our basis was at before the ethanol industry came into play. And now that we have an established ethanol industry and a user of corn seven days a week, 
we know that our basis is much, much stronger. And, and in turn, so what that's helping do is it's uh, helping elevate the price of, of land and, and uh, so on and so forth, and which helps the tax base uh, of the counties that, uh, of the farmers that sell grain into the ethanol industry and the whole biofuels industry. What else is top of mind for the corn growers this legislative session? Well, we know several years ago, uh, the buffer law came into play, and then with that bill at that time, it would have been nice to include some type of uh, tax relief for the buffer strips. Right, right now, currently, we still pay, uh, that buffer strip is still taxed as tillable property. And uh, so, you know, we're paying $60 an acre plus in the county that we do the majority of our farming in for for buffer strip. And I, I, for one, just don't feel that that's good because of the fact that, you know, uh, they told us what we needed to plant. It's not that we had a choice to do something where we could make money off of that buffer strip. I haven't heard as much talk about health care recently, Tim, but I know it's been a major burden for a lot of farm families. Is, is that something that you hope gets addressed this session? Well, that's another, you know, so we just got our, our statement here, you know, a month ago again, and and our, our health insurance, me and my wife, and we have two adult sons that farm with us, and our insurance went up 11% again. And, you know, these numbers are just, uh, uh, they're not sustainable. And I don't know, I don't have the answer to what we can do, but certainly something needs to be addressed here. It's it's to the point where it's a big burden on, on us as far as uh, these uh, the health care. Any other policy topics that you want to make sure we mention? Well, you know, and one thing, too, is, you know, we've achieved some things on the egg tax credit for schools and so on and so forth, and we want to keep that in place, you know, any, anything subject to being opened up and moved and stuff again. And But, you know, there's such a burden on, on tillable land when it comes to the funding of schools and the, the way it was, and, and uh, you know, we've gotten some relief and with that over the last couple of sessions, and and we hope that we can continue to see that relief coming for all the farmers. Tim, well, I've got you on the phone. As you think about the, at the federal level, the incoming administration, what excites you about this administration and what concerns you? Well, certainly we've, we've talked about the biofuels industry, and, and uh, our past president always said that he was in favor of the biofuels industry, but yet we all know that he gave uh, – more waivers than anybody else ever did. And, and, you know, certainly we want to get back on the right track with, with uh, not not having all them waivers. We, we understand that there are certain refiners that have a hard time getting ethanol into where their facility is at. But all in all, generally speaking, the vast majority of the waivers that were granted were granted for for not that situation at all. And, and that, that'll be the key. We're, we'll, it'll be very interesting to see where we fall with that. Um, you know, and, and uh, just in general speaking, you know, the, the trade issues that we currently have been working through now, it seems like, you know, China's been purchasing about everything they can get their hands on, and, and that's certainly helping the current market and so on and so forth. But we need to hold hold our trading partners to the fire on this, uh, you know, that we can continue to, to get into their markets uh, tariff-free. That's Minnesota Corn Growers Association President Mark Weibel with correspondent Mark Dornkamp. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.